Hey kids, I'm Michelle Carlo and this show is Fish Out of Agua. Last week, our intro song made us remember the cartoons and game shows of our childhood. This week's song brings back a different memory, grown-up heartbreak. But that's not really a bad thing, now that enough time has passed for life to be smoothed over. Or, as Morrissey once sang, I can smile about it now, but at the time it was terrible. Only this song and this show isn't about Shakespeare's sister or gothic groaning. So let's get back to the impressions and seven years. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was seven years from old school R&B soul band The Impressions from 1969, a song that was chosen by today's guest artist, whom we'll be getting to in just a little bit. I really love 60s, 70s R&B. I pretty much grew up on it, but I wasn't familiar with this song, and when I looked up this band, I found out that Curtis Mayfield was part of The Impressions. Huh. I love Curtis Mayfield. Superfly is like one of my favorite albums of all time. No, it's not like one of my favorite albums of all time. It is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I think it was the first album, all right, I admit, 8-track, okay, that my parents listened to that I was interested in and that I thought was cool. I even seem to have a memory of coming home from school and catching my mom vacuuming the orange Rasta shag living room carpeting to Freddy's dead. Well, I called the living room carpet orange Rasta shag because the threads in that carpet was so long, they seriously look like dreadlocks. But I digress. <laughs> I think the takeaway that I can get from this is that most music roads somehow lead back to our childhoods. But not this week's story. Our story this week is about grown-up heartbreak and its aftermath. The impression sang seven years and then I find it was all a waste of time. But what happens when the relationship that ends is double that length? How does one come to terms with an ending and start over again? Especially once you're no longer a fresh springtime blossom, but more like a gnarly October root of a certain age. Our story this week 
is called manopause. I've always been the kind of person who thought no meant find another way. When I was a teenager, my dream was to go to the School of Visual Arts, but I couldn't get in because I didn't really do that well in high school and hadn't taken the SATs. So I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and I tried again, and I finally got in the year I turned 20, the year where most people are choosing their majors and are almost done. I became a performer when I was 35. That's the age when most sane people give it up. And so when my husband of nearly 14 years told me that he no longer wanted to be married, I was sure I could change his mind. I mean, hadn't we spent over a decade living and loving and making art together? But I had to face the truth that sometimes no means no. There were days when I would get to my job and not know how I got up, got dressed, and got there. There were nights that I sat alone on my kitchen floor and howled. And my, my, friends, my friends really tried to help me. They said, Michelle, you don't have to be alone. Why don't you just sign up for OkCupid? Okay now, there are a couple of things that you should know about me. Um, when I was what's now called a tween, I walked in subway, uh, subway yards and underground layups and on above ground L layups to write graffiti. I've hosted many a rowdy burlesque show. And even though you could say, well, she's kind of a daredevil, I somehow did not have either the stomach or the cojones for online dating. I mean, whatever happened to just getting trashed and taking someone home? Only the last time I had done that was 1990, and I married him. And then there was another conspiracy going on around me that summer and fall. It seemed that every time I turned on the television or the radio or opened up a, a magazine or went online, there was yet another article about the invisible woman. And now that I was technically a woman of a certain age, the bloom was now off my rose and the rot had now begun. And that I was now more likely to be struck by lightning than by love at first, last, or any And because, well, I'm an optimist and I think no means find another way, I embarked on a series of fling, rebound, and mistake, fling, rebound, and mistake, and mistake, and mistake. And I had to finally admit to myself that Perhaps all that media was right. And I accepted that maybe I had entered a new phase of my life. One I called manopause. And for want of something to do, a new way to redirect my passion and my energies, I decided to write a book. I mean, well, why not? There 
wasn't anyone around anymore that could tell me what I could or couldn't do, so I did. But these things take time. A couple of years, to be exact. And one day, when I was nearly done, I decided to take a walk. And it was one of those last cold days of early spring before the weather really starts to warm up. And I walked near Prospect Park, and I see at the entrance of the park this grove of magnolia trees. And I pass by these trees all the time, but today I notice that each branch of every tree was just laden, filled with all these huge green buds that were three-quarters of the way open, and they were all trembling to contain the weight and the force of each pink, creamy blossom that was inside, that was just yearning, waiting for the right moment to burst out naked and free into the breeze. And I stood there, and I looked at those trees, and I said out loud, I know how you feel. I want to be pollinated. And then I turned and I saw the really cute age-appropriate guy on my left with the really cute dog bolting to the park, never to be seen ever again. And I went back home and I sat on my kitchen floor and I howled and I cried again because now that time had passed and I was even more of a certain lay age, I was more likely to be mauled by a tiger than ever again feel the caressing touch of another lover. But then, a few weeks later, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unlikely and the most unexpected thing happened. One Monday night at 11 p.m., a redhead walked into the old performance space of Bowery Poetry Club and three hours later, walked out, not alone. The next morning, I woke up with a man in my bed. And then I remembered his name was Larry. Oh, God, the worst name in the world. Larry, how could I sleep with a guy named Larry? And then he woke up, and um, because he was from Astoria and didn't know my part of Brooklyn, I needed to walk him to the train. And as we walked the 14 blocks down to the R train, he kept trying to hold my hand, and I wouldn't let him, and he kept trying to hold my hand, and I wouldn't let him, because how could this ever be anything more than just a one-night stand? I mean, hadn't I broke every dating rule in every dating book, and besides, how old were we? And then when we got to the train, Larry turns around and waves at me and says, I'll call you. And I wave back at him and I say, yeah, right. But then the next day, he did call. And we went on a real first date and then a second. And then I noticed that he 
was sneaking Tic Tacs into his mouth before he went to kiss me. And that's when I thought, oh my God, he's nervous too. And the more I got to know Larry, <clears throat> the more I came to realize that we were two souls that had been living parallel lives for years. And even though it had been 18 months since I had last known a man, somehow the universe had conspired to bring us to the exact same place at a time when we were both ready for each other. And now it's been eight years on April 27th since the man that I now call Bobby <laughs> and I have been together. And sometimes I just wonder by what quirk of fate was I able to, to meet another partner at even being more of a certain age and being more likely to be struck by lightning, mauled by tigers and blown up in an airplane crash than I was ever to find happiness again. And sometimes I wonder if, like those magnolia blossoms, I was just waiting for the right breeze to come. Or maybe, maybe I'm just the kind of person who thinks no means find another way.
Radio Free Brooklyn with Fish Out of Agua. And that was Curtis Mayfield's Give Me Your Love from 1972's Superfly. I wish I could say that Curtis's story had a happy ending. In 1990, he became paralyzed after a freak stage accident at a summer concert in Brooklyn and died nine years later. I wish the world would have had a bit more time with him. There is no good segue from that except... More music. Another song handpicked by our guest artist of this week called Oh Heaven by Blue in Exile, which totally metally is from an album called Give Me My Flowers While I Can Still Smell Them. Seriously, that's the name of that album. <laughs> Life can sure get a bit freaky deaky sometimes, huh? Heaven. How could I forget you? Rose to the occasion, one day plucking petals. Stole something precious, should have been the way I left you. But no matter what's changed, sustain. Be the best you. <laughs> the rest grew restless as cousin sleep. Wanted peace, but the search wasn't deep. I invested my week to see a brighter Monday morn, but woke up on Tuesday in the same uniform. And through it all, I try not to do you wrong. As I have in the past, rapping other love songs. But it's kind of hard building lust when your trust gone. Money was the object of a Fact, they ain't want junk. Should've gone with my first love. Maybe moved out to Vigo and wrote books in cursive. Learned a little French and do the film I've been trying to make and translate the feeling I was feeling in my modern day. Took a break with the whiz, gave the rhymes a break. Busting hard enough to make the break. No seeds, no sticks, no stems. Old gems found crumbled by the bubble goose Tim's. I can hear the hymns in a choir from the pews where mom sat listening to Sunday's blues and the scuffed penny loafs that I stuffed the nickel into all white easter suit that won't fit you sent through heaven to hell to sell dreams of places once dwelled but i fell for the green stuff swore i could fly back and say hi again but my money was no good i needed time to spend brought me back to my youth when i was grinding with no loot book full of rhymes with the gold tooth with the scripture engraved or a picture of the days when i dreamt to be a richer liquor pours from the picture to the glass house built for liquors to remember the soul that once remembered Gone, gotta find it in her And we happily concur Ever after one blur Merry match in one word Love Found crumbled in notebooks You never saw But little thoughts and yada yada Drama side mind Traumatized by um, Falling off in the water Which is softer than the ground level Found holding souls of a daisy Without pedals <laughs> Like how special All heaven uh, How could I forget you Your love, love, my love A dedication to the music Dedication to the music. 
And we're back. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's time for Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woo! And now it's my favorite part of this show. It's time for Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Oh my God, I am like on such a roll here because I've been interviewing for the past couple of times some of my most favorite storytellers in the whole world. Yes, I say everyone's my favorite for some people are more favorites than others. And let me welcome um, Mark Pagan. Thank you, hi. Hi, so um, remind me, how and when did we meet? Because you're actually one of the people that I met like more recently yeah. than some other people. Like Daisy, I knew like like Daisy Rosavia, who I who will probably be on, on the episode before you. Um, I met her in the beginning of 2009, which is just right at the time when the moth was blowing up, like okay. right at that cusp yeah. before it went. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know where it's at now. It's 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 a super super yeah. supernova global entity of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think, I could be wrong, I think the first time that we met was, actually I came to No Name. Oh, okay. Uh, Eric Vedder's show up in Washington Heights. I came to check it out because I had, I'd moved back to New York and I was checking out the scene. What year was this? 2012? No, actually I think it was more recent. Oh, wow. 2013, 2014. Wow. So it was like three or four years ago, four years ago maybe. And I came up, and the night that I went, it was... There was a number of people that I met that night. Oh. Don Frazier was there. I met her that night. Robin Gelfenbein. Jake Hart was on that show. Oh, my God. Um, and then you and Eric, of course. And um, So how did you find out about it? Did somebody invite you? Or... I don't remember, actually. I know, but it, they, they didn't have, like, the New York City storytelling no. group on Facebook yet. No. There wasn't even any I, of that. I wasn't a part of it. So it was some kind of research on my part. Oh my God. Because I didn't really, because again, I was a novice coming, I was coming back into New York. I didn't know a lot of people. So I was just going to see stuff and uh, trying to integrate. So I don't know how the hell I found it. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't connected with anybody on Facebook. Wow. And, and then the that's, yet. and you just met everybody that night. That I think was so it, yeah, cool. Because we had, as you know, as you know, that it's up in Washington Heights. And yes. then the, there's a, a a sizable portion of people that are heading back to Brooklyn after the show. Yes. So I came, I hopped on with you, Dawn, and one or two other people. And so we, we made it all the way down and to we Brooklyn. And we were like, blah, 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 yeah, blah, 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 exactly. blah. And, and that's how things happen. That's how things happen. That's so funny. I love that show. No name at Word Up. Oh, it's that, great. I mean, I love that Eric is from Washington Heights, and you know, born there, and he's always lived there. I was born there, and I lived there on and off for like the first couple of years when I was like, really little so I always have a love for that neighborhood you know and there's like nothing going on there there's like you know and he brings storytelling there and I was just and you know well he actually brings his uh, variety show No Name in a Bag of Chips there and when he asked me if I wanted to curate a storytelling night once a month I was like hell to the yeah, yeah. and it's like so many people have connected through it and I, I you don't realize that until someone tells you you know what I mean because it's just like something you do when you do something you're just in the moment of doing it and you don't realize well, I think that's, I was thinking about this last night, actually, like the benefit, not to be a Pollyanna about any of all this, but, you know, we all know that there's no, like, and none of us are really doing this for money, if, if any money right. comes no, to it. No, ain't no money. Yeah, ain't no money. No, no, no. But I mean, the real... I gave Mark out an apple. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, and a glass of rosé. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, 
I think, uh, how can I say it? I mean, it's just the community aspect, if nothing else, like that fostering community. As, as, as little as I'm trying to sound like a Pollyanna, that does mean a lot to me to have these things, either set something up in terms of a show or to go something and be like, oh, cool, I can look at this night that I went to. And there's like four or five people that I hooked up with. You hooked up with not in the sexual sense, but, like, <laughs> but that, I've, that I've connected no with. No swiping here. Yeah, yeah, but creatively, and it's lasted. Yeah. So, and we've all done stuff together yeah. since. I mean, you and I have worked together a ton yeah. in like the f- couple of years that, that we've known each other. We've worked with Bridget Bartolini's Five Girl Story Project. That's right. We've, That's we've right, yeah. been in like the Tank Festival, yeah, right? Yeah, And something else. Like, I don't know. We've, we've been in a lot of things yeah. at the same time together. Did we do a Harmon show together? Yeah, we, we did Harmon show together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. tale and the video tale. Yeah, that's a whole big thing. So when you came to New York, um, we're going to guess like 2013, right? 2013, 2014. I came, yeah, I came in 2013. I was initially here after college. Okay, so that's like four years. Four years. We're just with 2017 the first, now. The first round was 2002. Okay. So, but... Yeah. Well, you're from D.C. originally? Yeah, yeah. Born in the Bay Area, but I don't claim it. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm from, the, from Washington area. Okay. Yeah. So what brought you to New York? And were you always a performer? What were I, you doing there? Um, yes, I was. My, so I did this, this panel discussion a few weeks ago because my career has moved into podcasting oh, and radio production. So podcasting, this, like this. Yeah, like Woo. this. So I, I did this uh, career, this panel about podcasting, and I was like, they, you know, we, we started by talking about our careers, and I, it was right after Easter, and I like building this up a little bit, but it's partly true. I was, I was kind of supposed to be a priest, at least in my family. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, my mom's like, no, you weren't, but I think they were, they were pretty psyched on... Like Catholic priest? Well, the funny thing well, is, yeah, there's was, only priests or Catholic. If, yeah. if it was Pentecostal, you would I, be some, you would be like the minister. I know, right? Well, I grew up in uh, Episcopal, and I think they just wanted to get get me in the ministry. But they were really open, and so I liked I liked the performance aspect of it. Um, of I, being a priest, of, being, of like I love the the homily, I love oh, the sermon. Okay. Yeah, I like yeah. the connection points. I like when somebody gets up there and is, is telling their point of view. And um, the call and response thing. Love it, and yeah. And things smell nice, and you get to eat, you have some nibblies and nibbly yeah. bits and drinkies. It's great. You have all these rituals in place. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to be John Travolta when I was a kid, and I wanted... Well, that's a John Travolta priest. Like, like oh, like Saturday Night Fever, where his brother was supposed I to be the priest. I thought about that, yeah. I and then he was the dance. So oh, my yeah. God. Uh, and I, I just, I didn't even want to be an actor. I just wanted to be John Travolta. Um, somewhere along the way, I went into film. I was like, I wanted to be a, it switched into directing. Wow. I think. Without being an actor, just straight to directing? Just straight to directing. Did you go to school for it or did you just start doing it? I went to school for it and then I started doing it. And when I initially came to New York, that's what I was doing. And then I was like, oh, I got to scratch an itch with this performance thing. I did performing a little bit in high school. Um, I was like, let's do improv. Oh. Just moved into improv yeah. and then improv's great. That was my thing for a while. Wow. Just long form improv. Um, like Harold's and stuff? Harold's. Uh, I was doing UCB oh, stuff. For people for a while. who don't know, a Harold is Harold is this format where uh, there's so many other people that can explain this better than me. I haven't explained this in a long time. A Harold is a format where you open up the show with some sort of group game and then it's the structure is Three scenes, group game, three scenes, group game, three scenes. 
or a final scene. Now those three scenes, oh God, wow, this is hard to explain. Those three first scenes have to be linked up every single time after the group game. So scene one, scene 1A, for instance, Michelle and I start a scene and I'm a priest and she's confessing her sins. We wanna play whatever game we figure out in that first scene in scene one, what would the number be? I mean, it's yeah. complicado. It's My so brain is hurting. Just go to UCB and watch it. Yeah. Like, like it's, you'll, you'll, it's you'll, funnier than it sounds. Yeah, it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's so technical trying to explain it. Yeah. Um, but I did that for a while. My other interest is community work. I became a social worker and an educator. And is, anyway. that, is that what your day job is? Kind of. Uh, I run... My background being media education, media and uh, social work is merged. So oh. I work at an arts organization. I run media education programs. I run media advocacy programs. Um, I teach people how to make content. How oh, to make nice. Using, using available equipment and things like and that. And I've seen your name, like with, I've gotten emails from Brick and from the field and i've seen your name your your names connected with it your name connected with it yeah. yeah so you've worked with both these great organizations that are arts advocacy groups and really help performers who are struggling find their voice and um get out there yeah that's it's, fantastic it's cool i i don't know i'd have a hard time moving away from that kind of work maybe i've wondered about that though if um if like a writing gig came up in my career, I would take it. Who am I kidding? Like I would take it, even if it was in some sort of corporate place. But I haven't, for better or for worse, I haven't disassociated the community side to most of what I do. And um, I just like working with people. And mm. I think that's where storytelling fit in too. And I also like perspective. I like, I'm not into phony bullshit. So I just really like when people can speak from their experience and not try to aim to be sentimental. They're just like, this is what happened. This is totally what happened. And I'm going to structure it in a way that is engaging. I'm going to tell a story. Tell a story. Yeah. That's great. So um, you've done a lot of solo work lately. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Peach Fuzzy? Peach Fuzzy. Now, that was the thing we did that, with the tank. At, with that the was tank, our yeah. Link. So yeah. Uh, Michelle had... Um, there goes the neighborhood, which is about the gentrification of my neighborhood in Brooklyn, where I've lived my entire adult life. And Mark had Peach, Peach Fuzzy. Fuzzy. And before I talk about Peach Fuzzy, I do want to say something about that show about There Goes the Neighborhood. Is that it has one of the most interesting. What I, I'm really interested in, in terms of, in terms of any narrative, mm -hmm. any, any kind of narrative, especially from truth, is finding a bridge between like a personal narrative, a personal story, and maybe something that's theoretical or a piece of news, finding a bridge. And I, I love, I love, and I hope this isn't spoiling anything to anybody who hasn't seen the show, but this connection with this bear. Oh, this, okay. yeah, this, yeah, the, yeah. This, technically, this murder. I don't know if you used the word murder, or this well, death, this yeah. death And do you know boy. the anniversary of that is uh, Friday. Isn't really? that crazy? Yes. How long ago was it? Uh, Early 90s? Uh, 87. 87. 87. Okay, so, so I, 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 I have to explain now. Yeah, oh my God, the 30th anniversary. Okay, There Goes the Neighborhood is the story of the gentrification of my neighborhood, which is South Slope, Winter Terrace, Brooklyn, um, as seen by the eyes of uh, experience by four different individuals. Me, when I have to move from the house where I've lived for 20 years, um, a homeowner on 10th Street who bought in in 1969 
and she's Puerto Rican, and when, and when she brought into the neighborhood, all the white people left, and now she's seeing all the white people come back. There's also a, a, a transplant who doesn't understand why people shop at bodegas with horrible one-eyed cats staring at you when you could just order fresh direct. And there's also a bear in the story. The bear is named Teddy. He's a real character. On May 19th of 1987, a bunch of young boys who I believe either lived in the Prospect Heights or Crown Heights neighborhood, they snuck into the zoo after hours, and as young boys, 11, 12, 13, often do, they climbed, you know, they did, they went where they weren't supposed to go. There was some kind of dare, some kind of game going on. Two of them climbed into the bears, the polar bears enclosure. Only one came out. And it was a big deal. It, of course, a child died. Mm -hmm. it's a, it was a big deal. Yeah. But it, 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 there was such a great outcry. And that park was totally in disrepair. And that zoo was horrible. It was like the kind of zoo where you had like giant animals and like tiny little cages pacing back and forth and, mm -hmm. going, and going insane. Yeah. I mean, the bears had it better than most because at least they were outside in an enclosure. But still, you know, the kid went into the enclosure. The kid got killed and there was a great public outcry. I remember this I remember just right before I moved to that neighborhood. I was still living at home with my parents and I remember watching on Channel 7 Eyewitness News this whole thing and I didn't even know I was going to live there yet. Mm -hmm. And um, what yeah. happened was the zoo was shut. All the cages were raised to the ground and this alliance happened called uh, came about called the Prospect Park Alliance whose aim was to improve the conditions of this long neglected park and this horrible zoo. And for me, that was the tipping point, the starting point of this concentric circle of cleanup and gentrification that slowly filtered into the outer neighborhoods. So the bear, the bear did it. It's, it was the bear. I really, I love that. It's so fascinating. I think you've done something that's really. Well, I want to do the show again. You should. I want to. Because, <laughs> I, because what's what's important about that, and I think what's important about. Um, I think the real challenge of creating personal uh, documents and narratives is finding, I love, number one, finding the, the, the hidden connection point and also the ripple effect, the hidden ripple yeah, effect. Yeah, it's the ripple. Everything. nobody, nobody's looking at the connection of the zoo, the disrepair of the zoo, this, this death of this boy by this bear. That and poor what boy, the, 30 years ago, my God. What the effect was in terms of yeah. what it changed within the neighborhood. I think it's really fascinating. And then, of oh. course, weaving in these the, the personal stories. It's really... Thank you. It's great storytelling. I feel like you're interviewing me now. Yeah, well, Thank you. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm advocating doing it again. Oh, good. All um, right, so any producers out there, there goes the neighborhood is ready. Yeah. All right, but let's talk about Peach Fuzzy. So speaking of ripple effects, yeah. uh, what I was interested in with Peach Fuzzy was it was initially going to be a film, which is what I might be coming back to now. Oh, okay. Um, was my journey, if you can call it that, uh, my journey of dealing with unwanted body hair. Mm. And so when I was a teenager, like it just showed up all of a sudden. I was like, I don't, I want this. Like I want to look like a boy for a lot longer. Well, you're Latin, right? I'm Latin. 100%, right? No. No? That, this is the I thing. thought you were all Puerto Rican. This is the thing. So my dad is Puerto Rican, my mom's white. But oh, get glass today, white. She's Sicilian. No, she's because uh, they're, they're she, like the hairiest people I met. Sorry, she's she's from the Midwest, <laughs> and you know she's she's American, but in terms of like generation, 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 right. Scottish and German. Oh wow! And the show charts this sort of. My father passed away when I was a teenager, and it charts this like, wow, you know, I, I got all this hair from my dad, blah blah. blah. It turns out he wasn't the hairy one. I totally forgot it. My mom's family is the hairy one. So oh my it's the god! The white family, the white side that gave me all the hair. 
Um, <laughs> and you say that in the show, and I right? I say that in the show. Yeah, yeah, because everybody would assume that it's the Latin part because historically, or you know, like stereotypically, people of Southern Mediterranean and Latin descent and Middle Eastern descent are the ones that are supposed to have like the hairy backs. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. coming from and my the mustaches mom's and yeah. like the, the girls with the mustaches and the men with the hair on their backs. Yeah, yeah. I get my dark hair from my father, but I think all the coarse hair comes from comes from my mom's side. So the evolution of Peach Fuzzy. It was supposed to be a film, and I went on, uh, I'd gone on this artist retreat about five years ago, and I was working on another project, and... Well, you were still in D.C.? Well, I was still in D.C. Okay. And I just, I, I just got bored. I just got bored. And I don't know if you, this is, for anybody who's listening, my thing is, just generally with projects, but also if I'm bored creatively, I got to figure out something that's going to make me laugh and feel really silly. Mm. And so that and that ends up being what projects become. So if I'm laughing or I think like something's really goofy or just embarrassingly goofy, that's what I end up charting. Yeah. And so I remembered how I lost my virginity, how I was hiding the fact that I had this terrible wax experience uh, from my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, oh, shit, this is this is a story. This yeah. is a story right here. Um, and then from there, I opened up about all these experiences I had with beauticians. So I, I worked on that with uh, to premiere it at the Tank and did a few. Yeah, runs Solo of Week. It. Solo Week. Yeah, Solo Week. And it was, yeah, it was. That great. was a great festival. It was really great. Yeah. Um, and so at this point, I'm looking at coming back to doing it as a film, and part of my interest creatively is just looking at things that men do to hide insecurities and also ways in which they try to regain power. Mm. And so I've taken a little bit of a break from performing right now to get a first season of a podcast and digital series started that's tentatively called Strut. Strut? And, yeah, and each episode, each piece is about is, a, is, is me, basically, but the hope is to sort of broaden it to be a documentary series about moves. It's dissecting moves that men do. You mean uh, like putting the moves on people? Putting the moves on people. Um, uh, for instance, I almost bought a sports car last year because I felt insecure after a first date. I was like, oh, this is why men buy... Again, the ripple effects. Oh. This is why men buy sports Did cars. Did you just turn 40? Um, two years. In two years, I will. Oh. Well, no, I'm not they, far off. No, yeah, but you, you, <laughs> yeah. it's too soon. Too soon. I know. Too I gotta, soon. I got to wait a little bit. <laughs> too soon. Um, but, yeah, looking at the, the things that men do and not trying to, act, not in any way trying to make men feel bad. It's mostly just calling myself out and being like, all right, guys, let's start owning up to some shit. Yeah, because like if, if, if you put yourself out there as like, all right, I, I'm, I'm an idiot. I mess up. I screw shit up then that's that's good people relate and they go oh well i'm not as bad as him and then they yeah, can laugh right, at you right right, right? but it, like you know i always notice that with stories like when people like at the most story slams and stuff um or any story slam that i've ever been to i've always noticed that when people set themselves up as the hero of the story most of the time it's like meh Eh, yeah. yeah, I'm a hero. Okay, you you did good. You you yeah. Well, I mean, unless you like did something really good, like you saved someone from a burning building, or you delivered a baby in your back on the end train, or something, or like you found you you found somebody in your backyard that was like all cut up or whatever. Like okay, then you could be a hero. But like 
anything that like puffs you up, I, it's kind of like eh. But if you, but, but people tell a story, it's like yeah, this is like the worst thing I ever did. I screwed up. I was, I was, I was an idiot. I was a failure. I was like a mope. And people are like ah. It's funny because you know, as, as humans, we we run away from that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to say this in terms of like I know I know all, but we do. I'm same as everybody. Yeah. Like I don't want to. I don't want to sit with, with you on a train and be like I got my back waxed. Like I don't want to open that up. But no. The well, honest thing is even within interactions personally or if you're getting on stage doing it, if you are being vulnerable, nine times out of ten, unless you're sitting in front of a bunch of jocks, and even, I'm sure, actually the opposite, I'm, I'm going to challenge, even if you are sitting in front of a bunch of jocks, they're all going to listen, and at least one of them will come up to you afterwards and be like, I, I did that too. Yeah, right. So, It's the vulnerable. That's what the word I was looking for. It's the vulnerability being vulnerable and being able to put yourself out there, yeah, I wasn't sure if I did the right thing or maybe I messed this up, but hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because everybody feels that way. It's just some people put a mask around it. Yeah. And a lot of people that put the mask around it are <clears throat> men. Well, I'm, I'm curious too with, it's and true. not to get political right now. No, we can't political. This is internet radio. We can say what we want. But I'm, I'm curious what would happen. I mean, basically. If, yeah, <laughs> what would happen if, let's just throw the big name that's out there right now. Okay. If Donald Trump uh, got in front of a bunch of people, got in front of the press, got in front of, you know, said it made a public statement and it said, I was wrong. Uh-huh. I did that because, uh, because whatever, like his, his justification, like of, I did that because I was feeling insecure. His version of saying that, admitting so, would that, not that we would all be like, yay, Donald Trump, but would that, would everybody, okay. I feel like that would just calm people, be like, wow. Do you think? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I think I, it's gone to, I'm going to put a time context on this. Yeah. We're, we're doing this interview on May 17, 2017, when um, there's this whole controversy and like everyone's talking about impeachment and sure. people are talking about treason and people are talking about a lot of things. So I don't know. I don't know if, if an apology would do it at this point. And like, I A, I personally don't think that he has it in him. To do it, I don't think he's that type of personality. I mean, I, if when you're 70, I unless like you know like a lightning bolt of like something like envelops him and, and he goes through like a conversion, like like Paul in mm-hmm. Tarsus, you know, where Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off the donkey and made him blind and ah, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe miracles can happen, but I don't, I don't, I don't see know. that he would do that. Are you a Don, uh, David Letterman fan, or were you? Well, well he's I was still alive. Yeah, right? he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I was um, on and off. I mean, you know. Did you see his his apology when he on air or or the episode when he talked about the affair that had been made public? No, I did not see it, but I heard about it and I read about it. I think it was that is sort of the example that I go to of like a man in the a flawed person flawed person in the public who happens to be a man that I think that was the right choice. I think it was beautiful. I don't necessarily, I'm not applauding that he had an affair or that he made anybody's life and his life feel bad, but, but he, he basically, the way I took that episode is he got up, he's like, look, more or less it's a private matter, but it is public because I'm a public figure. I fucked up. I fucked up. And I'm not trying to say that what I did was great. I'm not trying to be like, oh, boo-hoo me, but like I hurt a lot of people. Uh, I just I want to say I'm sorry and I'm, I'm dealing with it. And I was like, 
That's it. That's what we need. Like, just start there. Most like when, like whether the Trumps or the and I, ah, it's soapboxy now. The way I'm I getting. know, I know. Let's, let's, let's get back to before me. One yeah. more sentence about this, and we yeah. get back to to to. to That's to, it. Period. Okay. Watch right. the punto. Thing. Yeah. punto, 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 punto. Yeah. But you sorry. know what? You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, because you're gonna have haters no matter what you do. That's right. If if, if you say you're sorry, people are gonna be like, why is he saying he's sorry? Or people are gonna be saying you're insincere. Or people are gonna be saying what? Because there's haters. Haters yeah. hate. Yeah. And you so, got to be okay. So one of the things that I really admired about you was your newsletter. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I love how I loved how like you I mean that actually kind of was in a, I'm thinking of this now in a small way. I maybe subconsciously influenced me wanting to showcase like other performers and writers, et cetera, of my acquaintance on this show, oh. is that you had like Chicas We Love. Yeah. So you you would like showcase somebody and I was like, This is such a freaking cool idea. Uh, it's part of that. That little, that little pin drop, that little pin drop pebble, pebble in the pond of just trying to connect the community. Yeah, out. no, that's yeah. good. We need to do this because you know the. I'm just going to use the word patriarchy loosely for like the powers that be. Sure. <laughs> you know they have their own networks to promote their own, yeah. to enhance their own, to uplift their own, and as Latino, we don't have that. I mean, you know, African-American community, they have their own colleges, mm -hmm. right? But Latinos are just like so diverse and so all over the place, we don't unite for anything. We do not unite for nada, you know? And I was just like, you know what? I'm the buck stops here with me. I'm just going to like have a show where I'm gonna put on the people that I liked, who I think deserve to be uplifted, and like, that's it. You know? I'm, I'm with that, I can applaud that. So um, what are you going to be doing coming up next? It's most the most of my focus is going to be on this strut project. Yeah. So tell us it, a little bit more about it because we got sidetracked on like so we're gonna politics. I'm, the aim is to launch it in September. Okay. And the newsletter is gonna be a funnel point. For okay. That. So for anybody, and it's my goal is to turn not only my performing but also creatively with with film, video, uh, audio, and any writing to be talking about, sort of become like an essayist That's project great. So about male, uh, I haven't figured out the right way, I haven't figured out the elevator pitch here. I call it Amongst Friends, uh, Revealing masculine panty lines. Oh, oh, I like that. Panties. So, but just don't say mantis. I hate when it's like mantis uh, no, and, and, and man bag and stuff. It, hate it like too. wear panties. Yeah. Like, oh, this is whole thing, like men like one pieces for men, like rompers, and they're calling them like manpers or something. It's like wear a friggin' romper. Wear wear a bun. Just call wear a romper. romper. Why, why? Wear a bun. Yeah. Don't put a friggin' gender on it. Yeah. Don't put uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't stand it. So, um, are you going to be putting it? So, you're still in the uh, constructing stages of the podcast. Then you yeah, still figure yeah. it out. It's going to be six or seven episodes okay. that will hopefully, as of right now, launch in September. Oh, great! And then we'll see how the first yeah. season does. And, and, and you'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll yeah. figure it out as you go along. Like I had no clue how to put a radio show together when I started this. Some people might say I still don't. Hey, you know what? I'm doing it. But right? I'm doing it. Right? I'm doing it. I'm uh, doing it. it. Figure it. Like it, you know what? Not knowing how to do so. Not knowing how to play guitar did not stop the Ramones. <laughs> and look at that. Well, I was going to say, look how they turned out. They were all dead. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know they, they are. Yeah, you know who they are, right? So, you know, just if, if you want to do something, just do it. Don't let not knowing how to do it and not having equipment or whatever, just do it. That's it. And we're getting back to storytelling now. Since you're not going to be telling stories for a while, since you're going to be doing strut, why don't you give us a little bit of a story now? I will. I'm going to give, I'm going to tell you all something that won a. Um, not to boast, but this was the one that, that won the slam last year. 
And, Grand Slam or uh, Story Slam? Story Slam. Ooh, a Moth Story um, Slam winning story by yeah. Mark Pagan. So I I don't like the expression, you just need to get laid. It drives me nuts. And I feel like when people say you just need to get laid, what they're saying to you is stop talking about her. And my friends were just were using this expression ad nauseum a few years ago. Um, and it's fine for other people. Like, I feel like I could say that to a bunch of people in a bar and they would go and they would do that. They would, they would take somebody home, they would use Tinder and they could just leave sex at the door, which is fine. I sort of envy that because I can't do that. If, if you and I have sex, you're probably gonna meet my family. Like I'm not casual at all. And I, was, I became really aware of this during my last breakup with Lauren. Um, we had been together for about four years and we were just moving in separate directions. And when it ended, I was completely devastated. I thought this was gonna be the one. And so my friends kept saying, you just need to get laid, just need to get laid. And I took that, I did that thing that happens after a long relationship where I took a step back and I looked at all of the relationships I had. And I said, I'm gonna break a pattern here. And I added up all of them. And it was 15 years of relationships, 15 years, a quinceanera of monogamy. And I was like, I'm done with this. So I decided I had two options here. I could do the thing that my friends were telling me and I can go have sex and I would probably end up in the same place in a year or two and be moaning to them. Or I could cut out desire become abstinent and I decided to go with that I thought that would be really easy so the first few months great but then it became summer in New York as we all know it's the most attractive city in the world and I was doing these things I was like I had these habits where I would just be walking down the street and if I saw if I saw anybody even slightly remotely attractive coming towards me I would just look up to avert my eyes and I was just walking into things and this led me to my other longest pattern, which was, uh, I went to the least romantic place in New York City, which is Lens Crafters. <laughs> um, and I got no qualms with Lens Crafters. This is, this is my place because I have, I'm, I'm, I, I wear glasses, but I'm also I'm a, a contact, contact lens user wearer. And I wear gas permeable lenses, hard lenses, and what that means for uh, our French group, what that means specifically for me is that um, I have to go in once a year, maybe once every two years and get a new pair of lenses. They last for a while, but I have astigmatism in my right eye. So the pattern is I go in, doctor gives me a lens, I wear it for a week and then I gotta come back and say how it was. It's almost like a science experiment. And then I gotta try a new lens and this goes on sometimes for weeks and weeks and weeks. But because of not, not having any sex, not having a relation, I'm loving this. Like this is sort of like a date every week. So I'm going in and seeing my doctor, trying on a new lens. And you know, we're reading things and telling him jokes and it's going really great. <laughs> um, and this goes on for six weeks. And during my last visit, I came in and I'm reading that chart of letters perfectly. Like that bottom line, just nailing it every single time. 
and he says, this is the lens, we got the right one. So he, um, he says, there's just one more thing I need to do, and he removes the eye mechanism away from my eyes, and he says, uh, he leans down, and he gets about four inches from my face, and he says, I just need you to look into my eyes. So I look into his eyes, and he takes his thumbs, and he puts his thumbs underneath my eyelids, and he pulls them down to look in. And when he put his fingers, very moisturized, on my skin, I said, oh. and he stepped back and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I guess my fingers are really cold. And I said, no, 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 don't stop, don't stop. And he continued doing what he was doing and my head started swimming. And I just, I was saying to myself, oh my God, take this in, take this in, take this in. Because it had been, it had been six months since I had had sex, since I kissed anybody, since I'd been in bed with someone and they had looked me in the eyes. And for the first time in my life, I said to myself, oh my God, I need to get laid. So I saw two options. Option one was we finish the exam and I go home and I continue my abstinence and I just do whatever I need to do with this, with this sensory memory. Or option number two is what if I leaned in a few more inches what would he say? And what would he do? Uh, and maybe he would get really irate, or maybe he would go and turn off the lights and be like, he would turn lens crafters into a bordello. Um, and then my thoughts, I, I just, they started racing a little bit because I've, I've never ever been with a man before. And I wondered what, maybe this was the change that I needed. <laughs> like. Maybe this was it, this would break the pattern, definitely. Um, and if that was the case, I'd have to call home, talk to my mom, my mom is cool, she's pretty progressive. I don't think that she would be so shocked that I was dating a man. I think she would be really shocked that I was dating a doctor. <laughs> and that would lead to other phone calls and I'd have to bring him around to meet family. And there's actually be a lot of pride there because Mark, is bringing home a doctor. Uh, and then, you know, I'm dating a doctor. That probably means I get a nice couch all of a sudden. Like my, I was like, just everything just sort of opened up for me. And I thought about this and I decided to go with option three, which was finish my exam, go home and sign up for OkCupid and get laid, which I did. And I ended up in another relationship. So I don't know that I can break my patterns, but I can say I think I'm gonna switch to soft lenses. <laughs> I was like holding on the laughter so much. Oh my God. Mark Pagan, who went through abstinence and now is gonna strut. That's right. Thank you for being on the show, Mark. Thank you for having me. And we're back on Fish Out of Agua with Radio Free Brooklyn. That was another old school 60s funk soul band called The Meters and their song Sissy Strut from 1969 under Mark's performance. To be clear, we recorded this interview in the middle of May, so any current event stuff we spoke of happened in that week. Ah, oh, look, our time this week's nearly done. Well, if you like what you've heard here or on any other Radio Free Brooklyn show, consider sponsoring us. 
It's easy. Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and click on the green Sponsor This Show button. You can sponsor any show, including <clears throat> Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo, for as little as a dollar per episode. So you eat one less slice of awful cardboard fake cheese old sauce pizza each week. Trust me, your tummy will thank you. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll leave you with this song from the Isley Brothers in 1969. For Mark and all my other art peeps who do their own bangs, no matter what. See you next week. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to sock it to. It's your